Okay, um, as we're getting, <clears throat> as I'm getting set up and getting started, uh, just <clears throat> wanted to follow up with the uh, the pictures that Kent mentioned. So we're we're turning 20 this September. The church is, and so we want to do a slideshow. And uh, if I get really motivated and um, want to put together maybe a, a photo book, you know, like you can get from Shutterfly. So. So I know there's some of you guys out there that have old pictures. If you have them uh, and you can get them to me, that would be great. You can share them uh, on Google or you can give me a thumb drive or um, however you want to do that, uh, we can do that. So, Okay, give me just a second. <clears throat> okay, how you guys doing today? You guys doing okay? You look a little solemn. You like, like you're. It's good, guys. We're in church together. It's it's all good. You can smile. Okay, um, I don't know if you're visiting today. Um, maybe see a couple of couple of new faces. So, uh, as Kent said, my name is Larry. Uh, I'm not the normal, uh, regular. I'm not normal. That's yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, my wife would attest to that. <clears throat> I'm not the regular teaching elder, let's put it that way. Okay, our regular teaching elder is Mike Halpin, and uh, Mike is on sabbatical for a few weeks, and he'll be back at the end of August, and uh, so uh, if you don't like me, uh, hopefully you'll come back at the end of August and give Mike a try and give us another shot uh, at having you worship with us. So I'm glad Mike isn't here, uh, not because I don't like Mike and I don't think a lot of Mike, uh, I'm glad Mike isn't here for a couple of reasons. One of them is selfish, and one of them is not so selfish. Uh, the not so selfish reason is that uh, Mike has served the church for 20 years without really an extended break, and so he's getting that now. And so he and his lovely bride Kathy are enjoying some time away, and, and hopefully they're enjoying some good time together, and enjoying each other, and getting uh, really to enjoy some time with God. And the selfish reason is that <clears throat> since Mike isn't here and Kent and Bill didn't want to teach uh, more, I get to teach more than once at a time. So I get to put together a series. And so uh, you can see the series title up there. And as I was praying um, and thinking about what is it that I wanted to teach on and what is it that God wants us to hear, because that's way more important, and kept coming back to the idea of the church as a family. That's one of the metaphors that, uh, that God uses for the church, and the church as a body, and how to strengthen the bonds that we have together as a family and as a body. And as I'm studying and I'm praying, and I kept coming across verses that were talking about how you live together as a family, how we do that. And uh, you're probably familiar with some of them, uh, they're called the one another verses, and I'm sorry, I forgot to set my timer. Let me do that real quick. That was all free, by the way. Okay, now we're good. Um, <clears throat> they're called the one another passages, okay? And so what we're going to do for the next four weeks is we're going to look at some of those one another passages. And we're going to, uh, today we're going to talk about uh, what it means to have gospel humility. 
and then we're going to look at how what the scripture says about how we have unity in the body we're going to talk about how we love one another and then we're going to wrap it up and we're going to talk about what it looks like to live in gospel community with each other and so that's where we're going for the next four weeks um so i just want to do since today is an intro message right you're supposed to do an overview and am i not on Okay, now we're on. Okay, that's not a great slide. You can't probably uh, see that very well. So that's just a graphic representation of all the one another passages in Scripture. Um, if you're up on the front row, you might be able to see it. Uh, if you're in the back, you might just want to turn around. And you might be able to see it better because it's projected on the back screen. If you're you guys over here, I'm sorry, you're out of luck. Um, maybe I'll get that printed up and you can look at it. Uh, but there are 59 one another passages in Scripture uh, that tell us how we're supposed to live as family. Paul wrote 60% of them, and so that makes sense given how much of the New Testament he wrote. Um, and so let's do a quick sword drill. Who knows uh, what Galatians 6.2 says? Because that's one of the one another passages. Anybody? Christy? Yeah, bear one another's burdens, okay? All right, what about James 5.16? Nobody went to Awana? <clears throat> it's on my sheet? Well, it's, see, so you can just, look at that. So Karen's paying attention, all right? Yeah, pray for one another, James 5.16, okay? And then uh, 1 Peter 4.9 is be hospitable to one another. And that's actually one of our core values, right? We talk about it when we do announcements is to be hospitable to one another. Okay, about a third of the verses of the 59 talk about unity among believers. A third talk about how to love one another. So that's obviously a, a pretty important topic to God. 15% uh, of them talk about how we're supposed to uh, live in humility and have deference towards one another. And then the rest are just this uh, kind of grab bag of exhortations about how we are supposed to encourage one another, greet one another, uh, and speak truth to one another. And those are just a few. So as I'm studying through, the question that comes to my mind is, why is there so many of these one another passages? Why, why are there 59 of them? And why does God put them in his word, right? Because we know that God's word, uh, uh, you know, as Greg says, it doesn't return void, and so they're, when God puts something in his words, there for a purpose. And one of the reasons is, <clears throat> in the early church, God was putting together this new organism, and he was putting Jews and Gentiles together. Okay, And that was like oil and water, because Jews and Gentiles didn't mix. And in fact, if you guys remember from Acts 10, uh, the story of Peter, he's on the roof of uh, Simon the Tanner's house, and he's, it's like midday, and he falls into a trance, and the sheet comes down. And on the sheet are all these crawling, creeping creatures. And all the creatures on the sheet are unclean according to Jewish dietary laws. And, the, and God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And says it three times. And of course, Peter, who, uh, even though was filled with the Holy Spirit, doesn't change. His default response to God is always, well, I know better. Uh, than you do. And so Peter goes, well, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that because nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. 
And God says, no, get up, kill and eat. It's okay. What's on there, what's on this sheet is good for you. And that was a symbol to Peter uh, that it was okay for him to go to Cornelius' house. That God was going to bring the Gentiles who were considered unclean by the Jews, he was going to consider, uh, bring them into the family of God. And in uh, verse 28 of chapter 10, when Peter does go to Cornelius' house, and he's asking him, why did you come for, why did you ask me to come here? He says, Peter says, you know how unlawful it is for me to be here to associate with uh, foreigners. And so it was mixing oil and water. God was putting something brand new together. Now, we're all, as far as I know, we're all Gentiles. Maybe we have somebody who has Jewish background um, that I'm not aware of. And so here in the church that we're in, we're not integrating uh, two ethnically distinct and hostile groups. Okay, but it's almost as much of a miracle for God putting Jews and Gentiles together as it is for God putting lion and lamb together. All right? Because you think about it, um, we have the gamut of people in here. So we have all kinds of different people. We have people with very strong personalities, and we have people with not so strong personalities. We have people that love to share their opinion, good, bad, or indifferent. And we have people that you never hear from. Uh, we have people of all ages, right? We have uh, empty nesters. We have uh, soon-to-be-marrieds, right? We have people that have been married for a long time. So the, the thing is, is that we are, in our own way, as diverse as Jews and Gentiles being put together. And so God knew that we were going to need these instructions for how to live together. Because God gave us a mission to do, which is to go, which as Greg was saying, was to proclaim the gospel. And we can't do that if we're fighting with each other and we're not treating each other well and we're not unified. So that's one of the reasons uh, God gave us those instructions so that we can manage all this good diversity in the body. All right? Okay, so another question. We have an interactive teaching today. Okay, so when I say humility, because we're going to start with humility. Um, and really the reason we're going to start with humility is because it's going to provide the foundation and the framework for what we're going to talk about in subsequent weeks. So if we don't have gospel humility, if we can't act in humility towards one another, then we can't be unified. We can't love one another. The rest of it is impossible. So we've got to get this right before we can move on to anything else. So when I say humility... A uh, little word association. Is that a positive or a negative connotation? This is where you guys are supposed to respond, right? Positive? Is that the church answer, the Sunday school answer, or is that the real answer? The real answer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It depends, right? Uh, for some of us, it's probably maybe a negative connotation. Maybe it's something like this. Okay. Um, notice we're a family-friendly church, so this this was edited uh, for family friendliness. So, yeah, I ran this by my wife, and uh, so that that's why we had to edit. And so, so my wife is my filter. So, because I thought this was hilarious, it was really funny. Okay. Um, all right, let's move on. Okay. Uh, 
But so when we think of humility, uh, sometimes I think we think of like, you know, the guy being held up by the sumo, it's negative, right? The guy, he's, here's this huge sumo wrestler and here's this little skinny kid uh, being held up by his drawers. And I think it can have a negative connotation, all right? Some of the words that we use to describe humility in our language are, have you ever heard the expression eating humble pie, right? So, so that's where you've said something, maybe you said it out of turn or you've said it incorrectly and somebody corrects you and you've got to go back and you've got to apologize and you've got to admit you were wrong, uh, which is a good thing, but that can have a negative connotation, right? And that's the opposite uh, of what gospel humility is. All right, you can, uh, there's a couple of definitions on your study sheet. Um, and I'm not going to, sp- I don't want to spend a lot of time on those. Um, but what I want to do is I do want to look at a couple of things they have in common and highlight those. And so the Webster's Dictionary uh, definition of humility is the quality or condition of being humble, modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance or rank. And then the Strong's definition, so in the Greek, humility is actually a compound word. It's made up of two different words. And it's humiliation of mind, that is modesty, humbleness of mind, humility of mind, or lowliness of mind. And so what I just want to highlight is that humility is really a way of thinking. It's really a mindset, okay, and not necessarily actions. You see actions, but they flow from a mindset of having humility. And the reason that that's important, I think, for us to know is that we can do a lot of stuff, right? We can even do good stuff that looks like humility, uh, but in reality, our mind is, is maybe not where it needs to be. And, and as we look at our passage uh, in Philippians, we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit, right? So you can do church things, and the whole time you can be have one of two two reactions. You can be thinking, wow, I'm serving. I'm such a humble guy. I wish the rest of the church was as humble as I am. Okay, which I know nobody in this room ever thinks. Okay, or you could have the attitude of, well, I guess nobody else is going to serve, so I have to serve. All right, you're still serving, but you're serving with the wrong attitude. It looks like you're humble, but when in reality, you're really not. All right, so I want to get to This definition, and this is what we're going to use, when I say gospel humility, this is really what I mean. And Tim Keller, he's the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in in New York City, uh, which is a church that's planted right in the heart of midtown Manhattan. And he planted it 20-something years ago, started with 100 people, and it's about 5,000 people and several sister congregations. So they're reaching secular people, right? They're reaching Wall Street people, uh, the people we would say secular liberal people. That's who this church is reaching. And this is what Tim Keller, he wrote a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And this is what he says about gospel humility. He says, gospel humility is not needing to think about myself. Not needing to connect things with myself. It is an end to thoughts such as, I'm in this room 
with these people? Does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. The blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. And, and later on in the book, he talks about uh, we tend to go uh, from an ego that's either puffed up, right? So we think too highly of ourselves or an ego that is uh, too low of an opinion of ourselves. And neither of those is gospel humility, which is what Tim Keller is saying. So he's saying true gospel humility means an ego that is not puffed up, but filled up. And it's filled up with Christ. Okay? And so that's the essence of what it means to have gospel humility. All right. So you might say, well, yeah, that sounds great. And um, uh, we should have gospel humility. Uh, but how do I get there? Are you going to tell me how to get there? And, and the good news is that Yes, I am going to tell you how to get there. Or at least I'm going to show you what the scriptures are going to say about how to get there. And just a disclaimer, okay? Uh, it's, it, it's an awesome privilege to teach. Uh, but when I teach, I'm, I'm, I'm really teaching to myself. Okay, so I don't want you to think, and maybe none of you do, that I've got this all figured out. Okay, so the whole time I'm back here in my office studying humility and teaching humility, I'm thinking, I've got to be humble because uh, the natural tendency is I want you to think well of me, right? And that's not gospel humility either. Not that you shouldn't think well of me, and I do want you to, but it shouldn't have the importance sometimes that it does. So, it, you know, I'm preaching to myself uh, when I'm doing this. All right, so back to uh, what we were talking about. All right, so we're going to read... Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. So if you have your Bible, grab it. Um, if you have a pew Bible, it's on page 980 and 981. Uh, I'm going to read it out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and, but it's pretty similar to the ESV or um, really to, to the NIV as well. I'll give you a second to get there. Okay, so starting in verse 3, Paul, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and this is what he says. It says, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man, in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so probably that's a familiar passage to a lot of us. Um, you studied it. And so what I want to do for, the, for the, the bulk and the rest of our time is just kind of walk through this and see how this passage is going to help us 
develop and get gospel humility. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on verses 3 and 4, and, and not because they're unimportant, because they are, right? There's no unimportant verses in God's Word. But really, uh, the gut punch and the, 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 really the meat of this chapter is in verses 6 through 8, and I don't want to short that. So in verse 3, Paul is telling the Philippians, he says, don't do anything out of uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit. And that's likely a reference back to chapter 1 uh, in verses 15 and 17. And Paul's writing to him, and he's saying um, that in his imprisonment, starting back in verse 13, so he's saying in my imprisonment in Rome, uh, because of that, some of the believers had more boldness to share the gospel. Uh, but some of them were preaching out of envy, um, uh, let's see, out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill, okay? The, others, the ones that were doing out of envy and strife, the others proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. And so maybe those were other teachers in the, the church at Rome, and they were jealous of Paul's ministry. Uh, he doesn't really say, but they were not teaching... Um, they were not teaching the gospel for the right reasons. So the takeaway for us is that, you know, they were doing the right thing. Paul says they were doing something good. They were preaching the gospel, and he rejoiced in that. They were doing it for the wrong reasons. They were doing it to cause Paul pain. And so just like we can do things, right, for selfish ambition and vain conceit, whether we recognize it or not. And just like the, the teachers in, in Rome... Uh, they do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. And so there's no reward in that. Okay, God uses everything, and, and the gospel can be proclaimed, and people can, can be saved. But to the one that's doing it wrongly, there's no reward for that if your motive is wrong. Uh, and I'm sure I'm preaching to people that have never done anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, right? Uh, and again, I'm preaching to myself, so uh, I know definitely I have done it. All right, and the next part is we're moving on through verse 3. It says, In humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. And I really like the way the NIV translates this. Uh, if you have the NIV on your phone or something, you might want to look at that. It says, In humility, value others above yourselves. And when Paul is saying to value others above yourselves, he's not talking about uh, compare yourselves to each other and then make a value determination as, as who's higher or who's lower, right? That's the way we, we tend to think uh, is when we value each other. So if, uh, if you make more money than I do, then you must be more important than I am. Or if you live in a bigger house, uh, then you must be more important. Or if you have more Facebook friends than I do, uh, you obviously must be more important than I am, okay? Um, we can carry that over even to church stuff. So if you, maybe you lead Bible studies or you go to a bunch of Bible studies, okay? Well, then you must be a super Christian and, and I'm not. Or um, all, we can run the gamut of things that we can compare ourselves to and we can make value judgments, okay? And that's not at all what Paul is talking about. And when we do that, that's, it might think you're being humble, but that's just the opposite, right? Because the focus is still on me 
and either how much better I am or what a worm I am compared to you. And so I'm still thinking about me. What Paul is talking about, what he's trying to get us to see, is that I should have the mindset that your needs supersede mine. And so I value you more than I value myself. That I should be willing to love you and serve you even and maybe especially when it's inconvenient or costly for me. You know, a lot of us, um, we have a lot of family groups in here, and so probably you're pretty good at doing that with your family. Uh, You're good at um, valuing the family over yourselves and and putting your family, uh, their needs ahead of your own. I think of the moms in here, definitely do that. Uh, And maybe you're close to some people, in the church, and you're, and you're friends with them, and, and you're pretty good about doing that. Um, but what about people that you're not related to, or that maybe you're not friends with, you're not in a small group with? Uh, what about people that are part of the body of Christ, and are part of this fellowship? Okay? We all know, maybe there's people we just see on Sundays. You know, what's our attitude towards them? Do we have that attitude where we value them more highly than we value ourselves? And if you look at Paul's statement in verse 4, he doesn't qualify that. He doesn't qualify others. It's not others that you're related to. It's not others that you like. It's not others that you have a lot of stuff in common with. It just says others. Okay? So that's important for us to know. All right, so... All that was set up for what I really want to talk about. That was like the longest introduction in history. Okay? And we're going to get to it. All right, so we're, we're going to go on to verse 6. And this is really, uh, if you've fallen asleep, wake back up. And uh, if you need to get up and stretch, do a seventh inning stretch, do that. Because uh, this is really the heart of what I want to talk about. And this is really what's going to get us to where we want to go, having gospel humility. All right, so verse 6. Paul says, make your own, or verse 5, sorry, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. That's it. That's the secret. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus. We're done. No, that's not it, okay? Um, you know, on the face of it, this, this might seem like a preposterous statement. And the, the first couple of times I'm studying and I'm looking and thinking, what? are you talking about? You know, Jesus was God in the flesh. He was the God-man. And, and I'm not. And you're not. You know, we're frail and fallen creatures. And so how in the world can I have, can I make my own attitude that of Christ Jesus? Okay? How do I do that? What does that look like? Okay, but the way that Paul phrases this command gives me hope that it's possible to do. All right, because there are possibly other words that Paul could have used in place of make that wouldn't have been as definitive. So Paul could have said try. There's other places in Scripture. Paul could have said strive. Right, there's other places in Scripture where Paul says strive. But he didn't say those. He said make. So when he's using the word make, there's a volitional element to that. So I'm supposed to do something, okay? 
But it's also a command of Scripture. And I believe that it's a command of Scripture that God wants us to obey. God wants us to make our own attitude that of Christ Jesus. And so, I firmly and honestly believe that as we, as we do that, as we're doing things to make our own attitude that of Christ Jesus, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit that is in you is going to give you the ability to do that. So it may sound like pie in the sky, but I honestly, firmly believe that it's possible for us to do. And so let's look at Christ's attitude. Let's look at the things that um, Christ did uh, and knew and that we can follow, okay? All right, so verse 6 says that Jesus existed in the form of God but did not consider equality with God. The Holman says it's something to be used. I think the King James says that something is a robbery. Um, uh, the NIV or ESV may say something to be grasped, okay? Um, now, as interesting, as interesting as it would be, we're not going to talk about uh, how Christ emptied himself of his deity or he set aside his deity. Uh, that's a topic for another day. and Maybe somebody else will tackle that. If you're really interested in it, there's a theological term. It's called kenosis. Uh, I think that might be on your study sheet. Uh, you can Google that, and it will take you to pages and pages and pages and pages and pages where you can spend hours and maybe days reading competing theories of how Christ either set aside or or didn't access his deity, but we don't want to look at that, okay? What I want to focus on is uh, a couple of reasons that Jesus could consider equality with God, um, could be equal to God, excuse me, and not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, okay? And one of the reasons is that Jesus was confident of his identity and the Father's love for him, okay? And not in a way that our culture says, so... Our culture says, uh, you know, be your best self now. Or the, the secret to, to really knowing yourself is finding yourself in individual freedom. And that's, that's totally not what I'm talking about. Uh, Jesus knew. He knew who he was. He knew without a doubt that the Father loved him, and he knew what he was here to do. Okay? You, there's a couple of things on your study sheet. John 10.30, where he says, I and the Father are one. He knew that. Uh, Matthew 3.17 is when Jesus was being baptized. He comes up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and God's audible voice says, this is, my, uh, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so there was no doubt at all who Jesus was, that the Father loved him, and what he was here to do. And so the takeaway for us is that in order for us to live lives of gospel humility and for us to be able to empty ourselves and self-forgetfulness we need to know who we are okay and again not the way the culture says we need to know and have an unshakable confidence in our identity in christ because that's the only identity that matters all right so there's a few things on your study sheet um that I, this is not an all exhaustive list about who we are in christ it's kind of the highlights the cliff notes version but I just want to step through these because it's, it's, it's vital that we get this. It's vital that we understand who we are in Christ. Okay? And so the first one is that we're reconciled. Um, you can, we're not going to go through all the scriptures. You can look them up. 
later, Romans 5.10, we're reconciled to God. Okay? Because we're in Christ, God is at peace with us. So the war is over. We don't have God's wrath hanging over us any longer. Okay? And if that wasn't enough, it gets better. Not only are we reconciled, we're adopted. Okay? Romans 8.15 and 16. Uh, you know, it would have been enough for God to say, okay, Christ died for your sins, I accept that, and I'm not going to kill you. But I'm going to let you live as a slave because you rebelled against me, uh, you sinned against me, and so I'm going to let you live, but you're going to live as a slave. Well, God didn't do that. He adopted us. Okay? And he adopted us even before we laid down our weapons. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? And if that's not enough, it gets better. So not only are we reconciled, we're adopted, we're joint heirs. All right? So we get everything. We, didn't, we don't get partial inheritance. We don't get uh, a minimal inheritance. We get it all. Everything that is, we get in Christ, we get it all. Okay? And if that wasn't enough, it gets better than that. So not only are we reconciled, not only are we adopted, not only are we joint heirs, but this is my favorite, is we're brought near to God. Okay, that passage in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, and then later on 18 and 19. You know, and Paul is talking about uh, you were without hope and without God in the world. Without hope, Okay. And then the best two verses, I think, in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy, right? And you read the rest. Okay, so God knew that I couldn't do this on my own. But God, who is rich in mercy, reached down, raised me from dead to life, gave me all these promises, made me his son. Okay? And then didn't keep me at arm's length because I'd rebelled against him. He brought me close. Okay, so that's, if you're in Christ, that's who you are. That's your identity. Okay? Not, not your Facebook status, not your job, not what school you went to, not who you're married to, not who you're not married to. None of that. If you're in Christ... You're reconciled, you're adopted, you're joint heir, and you're brought near to God. Okay? And listen, guys, when we get that, when we understand that, when you get that, that this is who I am, then you're free. You're free to empty yourself, which is what the next verse says that Christ did. You're free to empty yourself. When we get that we're one with Christ and we have all these promises, Jesus was able to trust himself to Christ. I mean, Jesus was able to trust himself to God, excuse me, um, because he knew this. And when we get it, we're able to trust ourselves to God. Okay? So if I know this, I don't have to protect my reputation. I don't have to protect my turf. I don't have to have to protect my feelings. I don't have to be so concerned 
with what you think of me or maybe what you don't think of me. Maybe that's worse, that you don't think of me. Okay? I don't have to worry about any of that. What it means is, I am so, like, like Tim Keller was saying, my ego is so filled up with who I am in Christ that I'm free. I'm free to love you and I'm free to serve you whether you like me or whether you don't. Whether you think well of me or you don't. Or whether you don't think of me at all. Okay? So I'm free to do that. I don't need to look out for my own interests because I know God is. Alright? And, and, and really, how arrogant is it of us to think that I can do something that God can't. So we spend all this time protecting ourselves and protecting our egos, right? When really we just need to, to be filled up with Christ and he's got it. And, and what can I do, what can you do that Christ can't? Okay, so, so that is the secret that, that Paul is telling us. Is be filled up with Christ. Your identity in Christ. Your ego filled up with Christ. And that's the freedom of gospel humility. Okay, so we're going to close. Everybody clap. Um, and I just want to ask us a couple of questions, reflection questions. Um, if we really lived like this, what would it look like? And, and I just want to look at it in the context of, of three relationships. So, you know, if we really got this, what would our relationship with God look like? You know, we might not suffer those little disappointments when God doesn't do something uh, that we want him to do. When God doesn't give us something that we think we need. When he withholds something from us because he wants to give us something better. Uh, What would our relationship, how would our prayer lives be different? How would our relationships in here look different if we really got this and lived this out? All right. Look at the people next to you, one to the left and the right. How would your relationship with those people be different? Okay. And then finally, how would a relationship with those outside the family look like? So there's people's, there are people living within a stone's throw of this church who are living Ephesians 2. They're without hope and without God in the world within a stone's throw of this church. Within a stone's throw of people who have hope and who have God. So what would it look like if we really lived that out? You know, I really struggled. Um, I struggled with how to end this because this is a heavy subject and, and I'm sort of studying it. You know, I feel the weight of it pressing on me and and you guys look like it's heavy and you feel the weight of it um, pressing on you. And uh, so I thought maybe I would just say something like, be humble and then drop a mic and, and walk off stage. Uh, and, and then I thought of my filter. I didn't ask my wife, but I thought, eh, she probably wouldn't say that was a good idea. So I'm not going to do that, although that would be really cool to do. And I may do that in future weeks, maybe. We'll see. Um, Probably not the best way to end a teaching on humility, right? Is to drop a mic and, and leave the musicians hanging. 
to scramble up here. Um, I totally don't know where don't know where I was going with that. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm not going to do that. So I want to end on a lighter note, but I don't want to lose some of the gravity of this, okay? Because I because I really think it's important, and not because I said it, because I think God wants us to live this way, okay? And to be honest, I want to live this way. I don't live this way, but I want to. You know what? And what I want as a shepherd for you guys is I want you guys to live this way. I want us all to live this way. Okay? Not perfectly, because we're not going to be perfect. All right? Because until we die, we're always battling our flesh. But I really want to live this way. And I want us as a church family to live this way. And so I just want to leave you with a little encouragement um, that I really, really honestly believe that it's possible for us to do this. It's possible. I think this is what God wants for us. And so, just as Greg was saying, God's word does not return void. And the purposes and the plans that God has for us won't be thwarted. So, so that's my encouragement to us all. Is I know this was a lot, but I really honestly believe uh, that we can live this way. Okay? So we're going to do... There's, there's some other questions on your study guide. We're not going to go into those. Those were from the book, um, which it's a really short read if you want to get the book and, and read it. I got it on Kindle, and it took me like half an hour to read. Uh, it was pretty good. But those are just some questions for maybe you, you to talk about at lunch or if you're in, in your small group. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different that we haven't done. And so I'm going to come back tonight because I know this is one-way communication. So if you'd like to talk about this more or you'd like to flesh this out a little bit more, uh, I'm going to be here at 6. We'll be here from 6 to 7 if you want to talk about it. I really don't have an agenda. There's not going to be child care. Uh, but if you just want to maybe have a conversation about what this would look like, um, I'll be here at 6. There's no brownie points for coming, uh, so you, you don't get any extras for coming. And there's no demerits for not coming. Okay, So totally up to you. So I'll be here at 6. I may lock the doors at 6.15 because nobody comes, but uh, just want to leave that open. All right? Let me pray for us. Father, you are uh, such a gracious and loving and amazing God. And uh, Father, I know that it can be scary to uh, empty ourselves, that it can be scary maybe to uh, let go of those things that we desperately want to hold on to. Um, Father, really believe that uh, this is something you want us to do, something you've called us to do, and something you'll enable us to do. And so, uh, so Father, just pray that uh, your spirit would be at work in us, um, that you would be bringing glory and honor to yourselves. Father, in our personal lives, individual lives, and as our life as a family, would you help us to live this way, dear God? Would you help us to empty ourselves um, and, and know that we have something better uh, because we can fill ourselves up with you? Um, Father, just thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you so much for your presence, for your spirit uh, that is in us. And uh, Father, as we worship you now in song, 
Uh, let our hearts be glad. Let us make a joyful noise as your word commands us to do. And uh, Father, just honor you. It's in your beautiful name that we pray it. Amen.